Wild Stories from Western Australia's Past. Hello, and welcome to Wild Stories from Western Australia's Past. I'm your host, Carly Florison. I'm a writer, a storyteller, and just a little bit of a history nerd. And I've got a really fun story for you today. This one has got plenty of ships, a few shipwrecks, and some daring rescues in it. So it should be lots of fun. Before we get into the story, though, I would like to pay my respects to the First Nations people of Western Australia, and in particular, the Wujari Noongar people of the Esperance area, which is where I'm recording today. The First Nations people have a history and a connection to this land that goes back tens of thousands of years, and I just want to pay my respects to them at the outset. So, as I said, this is quite a fun story today. It's the story of the ships that were an essential lifeline to the coastal communities of early Western Australia. These ships bought the mail, but they did so much more. So we're going to have a little look at the stories of these ships and then we're going to talk about a few of the ships themselves and the adventures and misadventures that they had. So in the early years of Western Australia's settlement, almost all communication with the rest of the world was done through the ships that travelled along the coast. Not only that, but the early European settlements also relied on the ships to bring supplies, everything from building materials to beer to seeds and, of course, food. At this stage, and I'm talking about pre-1870s, the overland journey to South Australia was long and absolutely fraught with danger. The biggest danger, of course, being that you were very likely to not find enough water and die of thirst in the uncharted outback of Western Australia. In 1870, this journey at this stage had only been completed by the explorer Eyre and the Aboriginal guide Wiley, a Noongar man from the Albany area. And they very nearly died along the way too. Of course, that's a story for another day. But suffice to say that overland travel around the state was incredibly difficult. There were huge distances involved. It was very difficult to find water. And there were, of course, no roads. So the ships that travelled along the coast were a lifeline to the communities that, at least until the gold rush era, were built along the coastline of Western Australia. In order to help with the communication problem, the construction of the telegraph line between Western Australia and South Australia was started in 1869 with a 12-mile telegraph line between Perth and Fremantle. And of course, the construction of the rest of the line was a very difficult, slow process. But a telegraph line from Perth to Albany was completed by 1872. On New Year's Day in 1875, the first of the poles for the telegraph line connecting Eucla to Albany was erected in front of the post office in Albany. This section of telegraph line would cover 1,290 kilometres through mostly unsettled land and it would take 7,000 telegraph poles. This was a huge feat for the newly formed Western Australian government, which committed a budget of £30,000 to the project at a time when the state's entire yearly revenue was about £135,000. So that just shows how important this project was to the government. In December 1877, the Eucla Telegraph Station was finally opened. Of course, The coastal ships were incredibly important even in the building of this telegraph line. All of the telegraph poles, wires and supplies for the workers were transported by ship. 
and you can just imagine the difficulty of unloading telegraph poles from ships in these rough waters off the southern coast of Western Australia before any jetties had been built. Sadly, one of the boatmen unloading poles from the schooner Twilight at Point Culver was drowned in the process of unloading. This ship, the Twilight, was later wrecked at Twilight Cove while carrying equipment for the telegraph line. And for those people who are familiar with the Esperance area, this is not Twilight Beach that is in Esperance, but another Twilight Cove at the end of the Baxter Cliffs, east of Israelite Bay. Another schooner, the Mary Ann, was wrecked on Bellinger Island, which is also close to Israelite Bay, while on a supply run for the telegraph line. The telegraph line was also extended north of Perth, and by 1884, the telegraph line had reached Broome, and only by 1892 did it get through to Halls Creek. More about the telegraph line on another episode, it's an interesting story, but for now, back to the ships. Even after the telegraph line gave the coastal settlements a faster way to communicate with people in other parts of the country, the mail ships were a vital lifeline for the towns bringing letters, newspapers, supplies and more. Aside from bringing the mail, one of the most important features of the coastal shipping run was to take the wool clip from little towns such as Esperance to Perth or Adelaide for sale. One of the early residents of Esperance, a woman called Mrs Emma Bostock, reported that at one point she was nearly five months without any news from the outside world while they were waiting for the ships to come. She also, whenever the mail ships did come, she would receive word immediately and she would send somebody to go and get the mail. And this is what she says. The rest of that night would be spent in reading letters and answering them. For, if the wind was fair, the boat would sail the next day. One of the first sea captains who made the regular run along the south coast of Western Australia was Captain Fred Douglas. Captain Frederick Douglas was born in 1850 in England. He came to Fremantle with his parents in 1852. He was educated in Perth and his first job was at the Fremantle Post Office. In 1869, Fred moved to Albany with his older brother William. And in 1873, William bought a cutter, the Victory, starting the family's career as sea captains. In 1879, Fred married a woman called Priscilla Keezer, and together they had four children. In 1881, Fred purchased a schooner called the Agnes, and he took up the mail run from Albany to Esperance. Along with the mail, Fred also shipped cargo along the coast from Fremantle all the way to Eucla. In 1892, Fred was travelling along the coast with a cargo when he anchored the Agnes at Bremer Bay for the night. He was loaded with a cargo that included 40 tonnes of sandalwood. That night, a storm blew in and the Agnes was wrecked on the beach at Bremer Bay. Fortunately, all of the crew were safe and the cargo and fittings were salvaged. A local farmer named John Wellstead purchased the wreck and he used all of the timber for the buildings on his property. But the wreck of the Agnes delayed the delivery of mail to Esperance for two months. After the wreck of the Agnes, Fred purchased a schooner called the Grace Darling and he used it, used it in the coastal trade between Fremantle and Adelaide, as well as continuing his mail run to Esperance. The Grace Darling set a record at the time, 
travelling from Esperance to Albany in just 19 hours. The Grace Darling became very much loved by all the coastal communities who eagerly waited for the ship to arrive in town. And here's a quote from a newspaper article from the time. I can remember boys standing on hilltops after school and seeing the Grace Darling at her birth yelling, The Grace is in! There would be a rush down to the jetty to scramble aboard, to look it over, to watch the unloading by two men working a hand winch, to look in the cookhouse, or even, if with one of the Douglas boys, to go below into the main cabin or stateroom. Captain Douglas, never that I remember, objected to boys looking over his ship. In 1894, there was an incident that made the Grace Darling even more famous along the coast of Western Australia. The Iron Steamship, the SS Redondo, hit Pollock Reef off the coast of Cape Arid in the area of Salisbury Island. The reef was well known, but the Redondo had a large iron pumping engine on board, on the deck, close to where the ship's compass was stored. The captain of the Redondo had realised that his navigation was out, but he didn't take any steps to address the problem. And in the early hours of the morning, the Redondo hit Pollock Reef. In the ensuing panic, some of the passengers rushed one of the lifeboats, which fell into the sea and capsized, with about 18 people on board. Four of those passengers drowned. The lifeboat was recovered and the remaining 196 passengers and crew made it safely to a nearby rocky island. Captain Hill tried to run the Redondo aground on a reef, but he failed and it sank somewhere off the coast of Salisbury Island. And to this day, the wreck of the Redondo has not been found. So at this stage, the passengers and crew of the Redondo were stranded on a remote island about 45 kilometres from shore. A small group of them, including the chief officer and some of the crew, went in search of help in one of the lifeboats. But by the time night fell, they were still in open water in a small lifeboat, a very long way away from where they needed to be. At this stage, remember this is 1894, there were very few settlements along this area of coast. At this stage, remember this is 1894, there were very few settlements along this area of coast. And you might be wondering where the Grace Darling comes in. Well, the chief officer and the crew in this tiny lifeboat in search of help tried unsuccessfully to light a lantern. Captain Fred Douglas was nearby, in the Grace Darling. He was travelling to Middle Island to collect a load of salt which was being harvested from the Pink Lake there. He happened to see the flash of light from the lamp and he went to investigate and found the lifeboat with the survivors from the Redondo in it. He picked them up and immediately set off in search of the stranded survivors on the rocky island. Despite rough seas and treacherous conditions, all of the Redondo's passengers and crew were saved by the Grace Darling and taken to Point Malcolm. The survivors of the shipwreck were mostly wearing night clothes and they were cold and wet and didn't have any food with them. So the settlers at Point Malcolm cared for them until a ship could be sent to take them back to Adelaide. Captain Douglas was reportedly fined £40 over the incident because it made him late with the delivery of the mail. He was delayed by the rescue efforts. And this is from a newspaper article at the time. 
Too much praise cannot be accorded Captain Douglas of the Grace Darling for his prompt departure for the island and the way in which he and his crew laboured to rescue the unfortunate people. And you'll be glad to know that Captain Douglas applied to the Western Australian Government to be reimbursed for the costs of this fine, and he was indeed given the money. After this incident, Captain Fred Douglas continued his shipping route with the Grace Darling, becoming a legend along the coast of Western Australia. In 1889, his wife Priscilla died, and Fred married again in 1890 to Susan Wellstead of Bremer Bay. He and Susan went on to have a further six children. And here is a quote about Captain Douglas. The Grace Darling was greatly admired, in combination with Fred Douglas, who was regarded as a crack sailor. He had terrific knowledge of the coast and was reputed to be able to take the Grace Darling into any bay on the coast in pitch darkness and a gale. Captain Douglas continued to travel this coastal route until his retirement in 1910. By this time, he had built a beautiful house called Bayview, this is now called Fairhaven, in Esperance, and reportedly this two-storey house was built so that he could see the Grace Darling from the second floor when it was in the bay. Captain Douglas was presented with a gold watch for 35 years of service to the coastal communities of the state. Writing about Douglas, one of the newspapers of the time expressed the importance of the shipping run to the coastal communities, saying... It is safe to say that he and his schooner, the Grace Darling, have entered intimately into the lives of the settler in the vicinity of the seaboard, at any rate so far as those situated to the east of Albany are concerned. To him they have looked for their supplies, and in some cases he has been the one link between the backcountry man and the outside world. Many indeed have been his acts of kindness in meeting the wants of his friends on the shore. And that's from the Albany Advertiser in 1910. After his retirement, Captain Douglas lived in his Esperance House Bayview until his death in 1916. Sadly, the Grace Darling was wrecked in 1914, off the coast of Lancelin. It would seem that the captain of the ship at the time made a navigational error and ran the ship into a reef near Edward Island. The cargo was lost and the crew of the ship only just made it to safety before the Grace Darling broke up in the waves. The sad end for a very fine ship. In the 1890s, the SS Flinders had a regular run from Adelaide to several Western Australian coastal towns. The Flinders regularly transported stock from Adelaide to Albany and to Fremantle and also offered a passenger service. The cheapest fares, in steerage, cost £1.10 shillings. Saloon passengers could pay £5 to travel in comfort. In 1895, after the town jetty was completed in Esperance, the SS Flinders began a fortnightly run between Adelaide and Esperance. This ship was owned by the Adelaide Steamship Company, which extended its services to the rest of the Western Australian coast as well. When the Adelaide Steamship Company withdrew its services to Western Australia, leaving many of the coastal towns, particularly up north, in a dire situation, private shipping services were unreliable and they needed regular supplies to be bought into the towns. The residents of these towns petitioned the Western Australian Government, saying, Twice during the past 12 months, the residents of Derby and Wyndham have been reduced almost to a state of famine, both as regards supplies for human consumption and fodder for stock, the petition read. 
So the Western Australian government formed the State Shipping Service and in 1912 they purchased the first state ship, the Una. Over the years, the Una took essential supplies, mail and passengers to the coastal towns from Eucla through to Broome and Wyndham. The next ship that the State Shipping Service bought was the iron steamship called the Eucla. This ship began her life called the Wexford, travelling regularly between Ireland and Liverpool, before she was brought to Western Australia and renamed the Eucla. The State Shipping Service began a regular run between Fremantle and Esperance in the Eucla in 1913. She was captained by Ernest Douglas, Fred Douglas's nephew. She would also travel to her namesake, the settlement Eucla, once every three months, and once a year she would stop in at Israelite Bay to collect the wool clip. In 1931, the ageing and decommissioned Eucla was scuttled in the ship graveyard located at Rottnest Island. And if you haven't heard of it before, the ship's graveyard is an area near Rottnest Island that has very deep water. And since 1910, it's been used to dispose of ships that have passed their use-by date. After World War II, it was also used to dispose of aircraft and even submarines that were no longer needed. There are at least 47 identified vessels which have been disposed of in the Rottnest Island graveyard. The State Shipping Service commissioned another ship, built in Scotland and completed in 1926. This ship was named the Kybra, which is a Noongar word meaning little ship, used by Noongar people in the Albany and Bustleton areas. The Kybra travelled from Fremantle to Esperance fortnightly, stopping at coastal towns such as Bustleton, Albany and Hopetown along the way. Every three months, the Kybra's journey was extended from Esperance and she stopped in at settlements in Point Malcolm, Israelite Bay and Eucla. Along with the mail, the Kybra carried food supplies, beer, building materials and superphosphate. She also carried passengers. A return fare from Fremantle to Esperance cost £9.10. shillings. A couple of highlights from the career of the Kybra. In 1932, a Japanese freighter called the Heio Maru ran aground just north of Bunbury. The Kybra came alongside her and the freighter's cargo was unloaded onto the Kybra. Then, with the help of a tugboat, the Kybra was able to tow the Heio Maru free from where she had run aground and successfully refloat her. In 1942, and you're going to have to excuse my pronunciation here, a ship called the Papacristidis Vasilius had broken down off the coast of Western Australia, a couple of days' journey from Fremantle. This ship, the Papacristidis Vasilius, was a 7,132-tonne ship, and the Kybra, weighing in at just 852 tonnes, was sent to tow the disabled steamer back into Fremantle, which she managed to do. This was a journey of 658 miles, that's more than a 1,000 kilometres, and she was doing an average speed of 4.25 knots, really not very fast, so it was a long and slow journey. In 1940, the Kybra was commandeered for use by the Royal Australian Navy in the Second World War. She was used as an escort vessel and a training ship for the duration of the war. 
She was decommissioned in 1945 and returned to the state shipping service. By that time, though, the railway line to Esperance had been completed and a regular shipping service to Esperance was no longer required. So despite protests from Esperance people, the Kybra was put on a northern run to Port Hedland. She was sold in 1958 and she was renamed the Floretta. And in 1959, she was seized by the Indonesian government for being used in gun smuggling. After this, she was sold again, but she slowly fell into disrepair and in 1972, she was scrapped. During her lifetime with the state shipping service, the Kybra made more than 570 voyages out of Fremantle and she was the last vessel to make the regular mail run to Esperance. A couple more interesting stories from the state shipping service which occurred during the Second World War. The state shipping service continued during those years, delivering mail and supplies along the coast. In 1941, one of the service's ships called the Kulinda was travelling north on a regular route when she discovered two lifeboats carrying German sailors. They were rescued at gunpoint, and the few German sailors who could speak English explained that their German raider had been sunk in a battle with an Allied ship, which had also sunk. The Allied ship turned out to be the HMAS Sydney, which was tragically lost with all 645 of its crew on board. And in 1942, the state ship the Kulama was near Wyndham, and if you don't know where Wyndham is, it's the most northerly point in Western Australia, right up the top. The Kulama was bombed by Japanese planes. They managed to hit her twice. Even after being hit, the captain managed to beach her and the passengers and crew were able to safely disembark. Later on, a skeleton crew managed to refloat the Kulama and keep her afloat by constantly pumping water out of her leaking hold. They got her up to the Wyndham jetty before the town was again attacked by Japanese bombers. The ship had to be abandoned and the pumps failed and she slowly drifted away from the jetty and sank off the coast of Wyndham. As the railway service and the roads in the south of Western Australia improved, the state shipping service stopped services to those towns. The ships still went north, though, as the roads up to the Kimberley were still unsealed in the 50s and the 60s. The shipping service provided a way for tourists to visit the north of the state, and many did in those years. In 1973, with road and air transport becoming much more reliable, the state shipping service stopped running regular services and stopped transporting passengers to the Kimberley, although they did still transport goods to and from the Pilbara and Kimberley. They eventually sold all of their ships, but it wasn't until 2005 that the State Shipping Service sold the last of them. After this, the State Shipping Service contracted private vessels to run their services for a few years, but in 2013 the service was closed altogether. And this was the end of an era for coastal shipping in Western Australia. And that's it. That's the story of the coastal mail ships. If you want to find out more about the references that I've used and where I got some of the quotes from this episode, you can visit my website. That's www.wildwastories.com. Please do get in touch if you've got any feedback. I love hearing feedback from people. And if you've got any questions or comments, you can have a look in the show notes to find ways that you can get in touch with me. 
I'm going to be back very soon with another episode of Wild Stories from Western Australia's Past for you. And next time we're going to be looking at the story of C.Y. O'Connor, which is an absolutely fascinating story. I'm really looking forward to sharing that with you next time. Thanks so much for listening in today. I really appreciate your company and I'll be back soon with another wild story from Western Australia's past. Mm -hmm.